Welcome, listeners, to another installment of the Banquet Hall Podcast. Uh, any new listeners, make sure you follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod. Uh, share it with a friend. And y'all are in for a treat today. I am blessed to be joined by a good friend of mine, Salvador. Uh, thank you for joining the podcast. How are you doing today, Sal? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you too. Uh, this is something that we kind of just not necessarily randomly put together, but I feel like uh, we DM like, I think it was like last week or a week and a half ago about a meme <laughs> yeah. just on my story. And uh, for those of y'all on IG, y'all might have seen a meme talking about adult friendships or like, oh, like want to connect in 2026. And as we were like joking back and forth about how like, oh, I'm busy in 2027. How about 2030? I'm like, you know what? I want Sal on the podcast. Like we're going to do the, we're connecting with people on the podcast. Um, So very, very excited that you said yes. Very excited for people to hear your story. Uh, Sal mentioned before we started recording, this is his first time on a podcast. So I'm excited to be the first podcast. And honestly, I'm going to put it out there. It's going to be the first of many throughout your career. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Of course. Uh, but the first question I usually start with with all my guests, uh, I think it's very important when we tell stories to share where we're coming from. Uh, so for our listeners at home, where are you from and what did you learn from where you grew up at? Ooh, so where I'm from is always a fun question. I moved around a lot as a kid. So I was born here in San Diego. I lived here for like up until second grade, then I moved to the DMV area and I was like mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia for a couple of years. And then I went to El Paso, Texas, and I was there for like, from like fourth grade up until freshman year high school. And then I circled back to the Imperial Valley where all my family, like extended families from, that's where my parents were born and grew up. Um, and I finished high school there. And then I came mm-hmm. to UCSD for undergrad and then later grad school so kind of made a giant full circle i know you went all across the all across the nation and back um and for the listeners who might not be familiar with where the imperial valley is where is imperial valley oh so it's uh like two hours southeast from san diego it's like the very southeast corner right before you get to like arizona and mexico Uh, very like farm town dry hot lots of field workers Mm. Um, open spaces canals smells like cows yeah <laughs> it's great except the summertime it's so hot yeah i can only imagine how it is now because i mean it's hot in san diego and just the further you get inland like the hotter it gets yeah it's ridiculous i mean i enjoy the sun maybe that's why because i'm kind of from the desert i identify mm-hmm. that way i can do the sun way more than i can do the cold Ooh, i'm the exact opposite i'd much rather have a cold day than a hot really? day really yeah, I don't I don't even know what it is. Like obviously like I've grown up and lived in Southern California all my life, so it's never been like like obviously the summer get kind of hot, but it's never been too too hot, but I just always prefer like a nice little like 64 degree day like hmm. I don't know, it's just something about it. It's something weird about me though. I'm not saying people should like the cold, but <laughs> I, I personally love it. Um but yeah, Virginia, Texas, Imperial Valley, uh what would you say that are some of the differences or nuances i know you were obviously like a young kid in some of these areas Mm -hmm. and uh, still kind of coming of age but what are some things that you kind of picked up along the way or just living in those different parts of the country you know it was always interesting finding who i like identified with or like wanted to hang out with and then even as a kid there was like the back of my mind of like you're gonna have to do this again Mm. 
so I would get into this like habit of like who's who's my click in each place and that's why I think I established with like the area so like in uh, Virginia there wasn't a lot of like Latino kids but there was like a handful of like non-white kids mm. <laughs> I remember it was like one other Mexican kid or Puerto Rican kid like one black kid one Korean kid one Indian kid and we all sat at the same together <laughs> like table together <laughs> mm -hmm. um and for a while I just figured it was like oh because these boys are cool and then like now I look back and I'm like oh okay so <laughs> treated a little different um but when I've gone back to the DMV I see it's like pretty mixed especially because I spend mm. more time in the city um so I feel like that was like specific to my time and like what was around me um because the difference I saw huge differences more between like El Paso and the Imperial Valley because they were both border towns with a lot of Latinos mm -hmm. but very different kinds of Latinos like just the regional culture was different like Tex Texas versus California plus like like the the Latino background is just mm -hmm. was very different. So I feel like, and then each place I was there for a different part of my childhood. So I associate mm -hmm. like elementary school with like Virginia, middle school with Texas and then high school with California. Yeah. And like you said, just that loop across the country and back in, uh, you ended up at UC San Diego, one of many of my podcast guests who've gone to UCSD <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and you hold similar to me we're double tridents now got the bachelor's yeah. got the master's uh we really like giving a lot of money back to our alma mater <laughs> yeah man i mean what can you say we gotta get that paper you know hey gotta get that the piece paper. of paper got, yeah that that little piece of paper they send in the envelope to your house and it's like huh this is uh <laughs> this is my hundred thousand dollars huh <laughs> yeah i'm staring at it right now it's on my desk <laughs> I think mine is like on my TV stand too. I haven't even framed it or anything yet. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I'll get to it at some point. Uh, yeah. But you and I, we first crossed paths, if I'm not mistaken, Summer Bridge 2015. Yeah. Uh, when you were uh, young and a very young Sal. Uh, so you were, or just to give our visit, our listeners uh, some insights, Summer Bridge is a program targeted toward historically marginalized groups. And it's like a bridgeway program. I think it was like four or five weeks right before you start your first year at UCSD. Uh, so Sal was one of the Summer Bridge students and I was one of the counselors for the program. And so I guess the question I want to start with with just that Summer Bridge experience was like, what was it like first stepping foot onto UCSD's environment as a Summer Bridge student, like coming into this new college environment and you're a part of this program, still kind of figure things out. What was that experience like for you? I remember... It was also the first time I saw UCSD, like, really. Because mm. uh, though I was close by, I kind of just went off of the recognition for choosing to go there. So I hadn't toured the place or anything. Uh, so we pulled up in that Ravel parking lot and everyone's <laughs> unloading and stuff. And I'm, I didn't even know it was like this tiny corner of the school. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Doesn't look like the rest of the campus, right? It's, everything's all hodgepodge. And so walking up there's all these tents and i'm seeing all these like other people that are like varying ethnicities like backgrounds that are, like some look like me some don't look like me not a lot of white people and i'm like all right this is great it's ran by not a lot of white people like it's like all right cool people are talking like me right 
um, kind of meeting people in line, excited to like figure out where we go. And then I got through pretty quick. And I remember walking to the building and Andre was like escorting somewhere else. And so I stopped him and I'm asked like where I go. And he was like, oh, you're one of my students. And like gave me the biggest smile. And I remember like, <laughs> cool. And just like walking into this room and then seeing other people in their families. And like nobody was quite saying hi. Like they're like waving, but like busy setting up. Yeah. And I feel like everyone was in their same space as like, this is different because it's not quite college, but like we also know things count for college. Like, I guess we were just in the blind. So we we're all kind of like nervous and like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, I remember being pretty excited, like feeling good walking in because of Oasis. That was a good first one. Like I never did a campus tour, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think you get a completely different introductory to UCSD when you're going through a program like Summer Bridge. And like you said, there's like, so many diverse people that you're interacting with and uh, like you had a black ATC and you had like other like mar or marginalized groups that you're with and uh, that's really cool that Andre was your counselor uh, so you have the second best ATC of Summer Bridge 2015 <laughs> because I have to take the crown on because this is my own podcast but <laughs> I do also want to be able to give Andre some flowers on this episode too so uh, what would you say was some of the things that you learned from Andre as your Summer Bridge counselor? If you remember, <laughs> Oof. I feel like I learned a lot of like the reality of being a student, like kind of like a jump cut to like, it's not all nice and there's like high expectations, but also like caring about yourself. Like I'm sure for a lot of summer bridge people, like those one-to-ones were like really great times to like, just have another person like reflect with you and talk. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, just like making sure that you're good at the end of the day, like you're a student, it's like not your whole identity. Um, and like the general just like opening up to like new ideas. I felt like I had never been to a point like challenged to like, hey, you don't understand this, just like listen. Mm. And I feel like that was really easy to do because the way Andre would present things. And I think uh, our group meetings too, with the other guys, like we got to bond and that was like helpful of like, okay, there's other guys here who are also learning and unlearning the same things. So like, yeah, just opening up. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that's very important to have like someone who's been through the college experience for a couple of years just be able to give you that real insight. And I think that's why programs like Summer Bridge are so important because you have groups of marginalized experiences and communities uh, who are going to be having not the same college experience, but they're all going to be experiencing UCSD from this lens of like a diverse right. background. And like you mentioned, like you've been in towns where people look exactly like you, you've been in areas uh, where you're meeting a lot of different people. So kind of coming into Summer Bridge, I feel like is a nice incubator, for lack of a better word, of just like a lot of people all, like you said, learning the similar things, figuring out the transition to UCSD. Um, and so, yeah, I'm you're one of many people that I got to encounter at Summer Bridge. And now that you all are actual adults, I feel like sometimes it's still weird because we met y'all when y'all was like 17, 18. Now y'all in y'all yeah. 20s and fully established into who you want to be and figuring out who you want to become. So it's pretty cool to see, honestly. Honestly, what's crazy is when we started, we saw y'all who are like 
two years older than us, right? Like, <laughs> not even that much older. <laughs> we saw y'all as like these adults now. Like, <laughs> oh, they got their shit together. They rock in school. They, they doing all this. <laughs> and then like some of us went on to be ATCs later, and we were like, oh, nah. <laughs> it's like now we we was all still figuring it out too we was still transitioning and all that and it's funny because from our perspective too it's like oh look at these kids coming to this yeah. college campus <laughs> meanwhile like you said we're like two years older than you yeah we just went to two years of heavy academia we're like we've been through it <laughs> <laughs> that's real though you go through two years of college you feel like you done aged like five or ten years um but i wanted to get into kind of like your educational background we mentioned that you're double degreed up at UCSD. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you talk to our listeners about, let's start with your bachelor's and then into what led you to get your MFA. Yeah, so I got my bachelor's in ICAM, which stands for Interdisciplinary Computer and Arts Major, uh, which is just a very fancy name for mm-hmm. like music production and recording mm-hmm. techniques. Um, I guess they left it open because there used to be some like cross collaboration with the visual arts department. Mm-hmm. All I know is that they've kind of rebuilt that system. So I know the major still exists, but it might mean something different now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really into music production and recording um, into it in the sense, like I hadn't really done it in high school, but I was really into music and I wanted to get into like that side of music. Um, so I chose UCSD applied to different places across the country and UCSD ended up being the best fit. Um, and it was great because the music department, though the program was small, the uh, PhD program was like, has like one of the best like computer music programs in the world or something like that. Mm. So the trickle down funding actually got to <laughs> the undergrad level. And because there's only so much of us, like it could get spread pretty well. So we had really nice resources. Mm. Um, so I loved it there at UCSD. I had access to like really nice studios and stuff. Um, my degree, as you know, was a bunch of GEs because of UCSD. A lot of like art history and theory type stuff. And then the rest was like recording practices, like mm. in a studio working with grad students at times. Um, and yeah, so I did that for a while. And I actually took... It was a time where part of my degrees, my degree plan, it was like 10 classes and choose five to take. Like, Mm -hmm. So uh, there's one theater class that said uh, sound design. And part of me was like, that could be useful for like music, like making sound effects is what I thought it was going to be. So on a whim, I took it. And then uh, I did really well, kind of had a knack for it, probably because this background with like the tech that I was I had different understanding than other theater students who maybe didn't have the tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was encouraged by my TA who was a grad student at that time. And then I got to assist on a couple of plays. And then I did one, technically two full plays before I graduated. And so that kind of started the itch for, for mm-hmm. sound design and theater. Um, yeah. So that was undergrad. Should I go on to, MFA. yeah let's go ahead what, what led you to get your mfa <laughs> uh yeah so i finished this degree and i was looking to be recording and stuff uh getting into a studio is hard unless you like move to la and you're willing to do like very little pay like mm-hmm. basically go back to the bottom again and i was like okay but i have like i can already make stuff like i'm i'm ready to like 
do more. <laughs> uh, and so I got an AV job at a hotel right across the street from UCSD. Um, and I was doing like corporate AV. Uh, and I was chilling doing that. And then after a while, I just got so bored because I wasn't making any content or like doing anything musical. It was all like work retreats were happening. So I'd put up giant projection screens and I had to like dress nice, like tucked in shirt, but I was also lifting like big speakers and sweating. Mm. And I was dress codes are interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. I had to look like I was working at this fancy hotel, but I'm like outside hanging lights is <laughs> like I look gross because I'm sweating yeah. through like a, a dress shirt. <laughs> So I was like miserable. I was like, okay, I know I can do more. Uh, and then I was still finishing one last class at UCSD because I took a coding class that I technically failed once, mm -hmm. took two W's on, dropped another two times. I like, could not finish this last class for my undergrad degree. Um, was taking it online. So I was still technically a student. So the grad program asked if I wanted to sound design a show or like help program a show. Um, I did that. It was great. And then some of the uh, grad students like kind of put it in my head, like, have you thought about going to school? Like, and I was like, I don't know. I don't want to pay for school. That was my big thing. I also thing. didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I also didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know I wanted out of the AV business. Uh, and then a director came up to me and was like, you know, it's well, UCSD's their grad program is free. Um, so I was like, oh, that changes things a lot. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I don't know how I'll pay for like myself during the time of grad school, but I know that the tuition is free. So like there's something there. So I applied last second, like a day before the application was due. Just we'll see if this works out. And then I waited like three months, heard nothing as I was doing this AV job, still trying to figure out like worse and worse getting like, I want to get out of here, but I also mm -hmm. need money and stuff. And then I got into grad school and I found out too, that they give me a TA ship. So I would also get like pay. Oh, nice. I was like, okay, so I could full-time a student and just worry about it. Cool. So I jumped out of AV very quickly and went into that, which was great because I found out right when they furloughed everyone for the pandemic. Oof. Yeah. What, what a time we live in. Um, yeah. but that's, that's really exciting. And I'm not sure. Are you a first generation college grad? Yeah. I am, yeah. So what did, what did that feel like for you? Like, just like you finished UCSD one time, you get into grad school and now you have your master's. Like, what is, what does that feel like to be able to say, like, you have two degrees, like as a first gen student? It's kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like I often tend to be like, okay, great. Like what's, what's next uh and every now and then i do reflect on like oh shit wait i did just graduate second time like i've been in school for like eight years straight yeah <laughs> um but not only that but like damn through all the figuring it out and you know like you said first gen like my parents were there supportive and stuff but it was like we were figuring things out together legal things payment things of like mm -hmm. i don't know but you know, thankfully they believed in me and like are very much for education as, uh, you know, most POC families are. <laughs> uh, so they encouraged me through it, but it's definitely, it's very nice to sit back and reflect and like think, go me. Yeah. 
because it was great and i love the fact that it's like like my sister Loki was like thinking about going to grad school um i have a cousin that's gone like another one that's currently going in the dmv area so it's like not just me but like my generation like mm-hmm. my cousins as well like raising to professionalism altogether um yeah it's great because it's like we all get to celebrate together and continue going yeah such a such a powerful thing i think that that's one of the things i loved most about just getting to know different people from diverse backgrounds at ucsd and just in life because it's like everybody has a story to tell about like oh like my parents sacrificed X, Y, and Z to get me here, or we didn't know how we were going to pay for X, Y, and Z, but they want to make sure that I got to college and that I made my way through. And yeah, just, I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I think the more that we really take the time to sit and affirm the fact that of all that we've accomplished and at such a young age too, it's like some of our ancestors wildest dreams is that we would be getting two degrees from an institution like UCSD. And here we are today. <laughs> Yeah, working professionals under 30, like chilling. Yeah. And chilling. The the most important part, chilling. <laughs> yeah. Like honestly chilling. Like, don't get me wrong, we all get stressed and anxious, but yeah. like <laughs> it is not not the position my parents were got to be in, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, is like, especially because I'm an artist, like they let me do art. <laughs> like that's a big fear of like you're gonna go get a degree <laughs> and but it's gonna be an art one. So, you know, I had to double down with MFA, like, <laughs> I'm serious, I swear. <laughs> yeah, you got to prove yourself and make sure they know, like, no, like, uh, like this is real. This is worth it. This is something I, I'm passionate about and want to succeed in. Yeah, definitely. And it is. And it was. It was a great program. I definitely enjoyed the grad program way more than the undergrad program at UCSD. And what were some things that made you appreciate and or enjoy it more than the bachelor's? I think... Of course there's like more resources i think no tuition was i mean a great reason to go in general absolutely <laughs> um even though the pay like wasn't great for the amount of work we were doing as tas because we would often just lecture like like we would just be the professor for all mm. intents and purposes <laughs> uh like the just getting paid for that so it was like okay like i was taken care of it's a smaller program, so a lot more attention. Like, there's one sound person per year, one lighting person per year, sometimes two, but that means like a professor has four students, maybe max. Like, so very, very specific. Like, I got help was always within reach, which was great. Um, we are also partnered with the La Jolla Playhouse. They're on our grounds. I'm not quite sure yeah. how the partnership really works, but. <laughs> it's like a great uh, house to like get connections with. And like, because I was a student there and got to do work and little jobs across the street with them. Like I already have like a great setup leaving. So that was also like, like it was a good, like push forward, which is what I wanted grad school to do. Not just like, uh, like I've heard other schools, you get to do one show, maybe your whole MFA, Mm -hmm. like two years there where I got to do like three there's one year I did six, but like oh, shows wow. a year. Yeah, I also had such a small resume that I was like trying to grind things out <laughs> to stack it because I needed help. And I was, you know, trying to use the resources that this program gave me, which in undergrad, it felt like I was begging more and like people were like, go here, go here, go here. And then I don't need the help anymore because the time's passed or whatever. <laughs> 
That's cool that you were able to get so much practical experience. Do you feel like there are any particular shows or productions that stand out as like favorites or one that were like interesting to work on or that you gained a lot of it, like, I don't know, experience from? Yeah, there is. I think the first, well, not the first show. I, the first show I did there was a Zoom show. So it was mm-hmm. really hard to juggle sound. Um, but because of that, the show after that was an audio play. Uh, so no visuals, we just recorded it. And so I got to go full like engineer mode and like we got nice mics for the actors. So we were recording like on their computers, but like communicating through Zoom and they would send me things. And so it was like this giant, like 45 minute long play, but I mixed the whole thing. So it was like cool that I had full control over things. And there were sound effects, like there's a moment where the guy's in the kitchen. So I'd record myself like doing Foley, like, pulling out like a uh chopping block and a knife and some like lettuce or stuff and like chopping things and like listening to the audio and like running around my kitchen doing things in time um so I got to like do a bunch of crazy stuff and it was great because since we were online that first year due to COVID it really got me to like stretch my creativity in a time where the show before because we were on zoom I we couldn't really play sound effects. We couldn't really even level everybody's mics. So it was just kind of like, I think it sounds good. And we got like one song in there and that was like a whole hurdle. So it was, it was a great intro to like, this is what I can do in grad school. No, absolutely. And I feel like, at least speaking for myself, I feel like sound design is an, I don't know if I want to say underappreciated or just an under like, underserved portion of the arts in terms of people's knowledge about what all goes into sound design i think that like everybody likes listening to music everybody likes watching movies but i don't feel like people too often think about just all the teams of people and the audio engineers and the people that are putting in work to make it sound like what's happening is happening where it's happening at at the volume it needs to happen at um it's just so interesting. And as for myself, like I've been really interested in film production lately and I've been Mm -hmm. watching like plenty of videos of like how people make it sound like somebody's walking in the snow on film. Because I think as like a child, when I think of film, like, yeah, they just record and they hear the sound of the footsteps, but there's so many different layers to it. So I would say like, if you had to, I don't know if you, what the question within that is, but if you had to let people know, like what sound is, what sound design entails or like, who you are as an artist with regard to sound design, like what does it mean to be a sound designer? Yeah. So I think, so my thesis was that was on the sound of movement. That was the title of it. And so I relate sound to movement a lot and what it can do. Um, And so this is mainly through like a theater lens, but I think some of the ideas apply to like other platforms. Um, Sound can sometimes just supplement a scene like be the background let us know we're in a certain place or time and i think that's where it starts but i think sound can also be like another character in the room um like i've done a horror show where we're using like loud sound and quiet sound and creepy sounds and like relaxing sounds to like change the energy in the room Mm -hmm. um you know in a horror movie when like the creepy underscoring starts or you hear like the violins come in you're Mm -hmm. like you're getting primed right yeah or nothing happens and then it's quiet and then a jump scare Mm -hmm. right like that's all like a rhythm to it you know it's like movement within the scene like that breath that like even that silence before like the 
between the fake out and the real scare is like timed. I bet you someone mm-hmm. tried like half a second more, half a second less, like all those little details. Cause like, I don't know, humans are very rhythmic and like, you know, we're meant to move and have rhythm within us. And so I think there's an understanding of how things work. And that's why like, there's kind of a, like a shtick to each genre is because as humans, we just know there's like a movement there. And so I like being able to figure out what that movement is, create it, change it, fake people out with it. <laughs> um, like in a play, I get to do a lot of like uh, localized sound. So if I have a bunch of speakers, I can play sound out of one area. And like in this horror show, we were trying to do it like a horror film. So if I played it on the left side, people would look that way and someone could like run up in the dark on the mm. other side and then play a sound on the right they look back and then it's now a jump scare because they didn't see like this movement so it's also like that's why i say it's like another character of like i can kind of control where you're looking even though it's auditory um and i could definitely nerd about about this like for such a long time Um, i love it (laughs) but it really is like movement that's how i see it is like even though it's sonic it kind of works as a visual element yeah, and, th- and that's what makes it so cool. And one of the reasons why I was excited to have this conversation with you, because I'm really interested in stuff like that when it comes to just productions and how things come on, because the audience that's coming to see a play, like they're there, they're like, oh, I'm gonna sit here for X amount of time, watch this play. Um, they're not thinking just how many different people and how many different micro decisions are made to give them the experience that they're experiencing. Because like you said, the rhythm of the sound, when the sound is happening, where is it coming from? And I feel like, sound design and that form of art even aligns with my background in Coxi because mm-hmm. when we're learning about the auditory like systems in the brain and how we're perceiving sound those are the similar things that we're talking about like how long a sound is happening and when is it making your brain stimulate so I love seeing people nerd out about the stuff that they're passionate about it's, it's the coolest thing in the world to me <laughs> and I think that um well, not, I think when I uh, become a famous Hollywood screenwriter and film production, I'm gonna have to hire you as my director of sound on the on the on the set. <laughs> I got you. I'll be there. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, but I want to get into Suavecito sound design and uh, just how you've turned your academic passions and just things that you're passionate about learning about and things you've become an expert about to create your own art, to create your own platforms. And so I want to start by just talking about like, what made you want to create your Suavecito sound design? Yeah, I think, I think I had always been like into music or sound growing up, like started by playing drums when I was really little and then violin. Um, I was in bands and stuff did dance so I got my hands through a lot of things um and then you heard how like I got into theatrical sound design so I think it was I wanted to stay like general enough and so that's why I classify myself as like a sound designer so I can kind of keep my hands in multiple pots but also like the connection between it all um yeah (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah, the name Suavecito comes from a hair gel (laughs) that I used (laughs) to use a lot in like high school. And during a dance competition, a friend saw I was using that. And so he's like, hey, Suavecito. And like, it became like a joke within the group where they'd refer to me as Suavecito. 
And then the first dance mix I made was like for a performance. I added like a suavecito, like, <laughs> and then it just stuck and it's always been around. And yeah. Hey, I rock with it. I love it. I definitely didn't know that it came from uh, hair products. So that's really cool to to hear. That's, that's so cool. Um, but I think the first time I was introduced to you as a sound designer was when Andre came out with his project and mm-hmm. I listened to like, capitalism survival anthem and he was like oh sal makes this so like wait sal did this i was like oh this is hard so i think what i'm curious just hearing your perspective on is like what was it like to be able to collaborate on your former academic transition counselor Hmm. and like put together this project with him and be able to yeah just have a bop like a song's fire (laughs) yeah i think it was i mean it was so fun because it was like i never really like collaborated with anyone before so it was part of it was like okay how do I work with another like musician and like I I was like just getting into like making beats and things and I think I think I made uh Sandman the beat first I made this like loop I was messing around and I was like you know what like this is what Andre would do like this some Andre shit <laughs> And so I like exported it and I sent it to him and I was like, oh, what you think? And he was like immediately like, oh, I got you. I got you. <laughs> Came back with some like lyrics. I like, you know, fit them in there. And like afterwards, um, I think that's when the sound design came in is there's things like, because I said, I just sent him the beat with no context of like what the song was going to be about. And then like, he gave me back these lyrics and I was like, okay, gotcha. These are the topics that we're talking about. This is his viewpoint. Like I got to start processing like, uh, he says, uh, oh, I shouldn't be forgetting the words. <laughs> uh, uh, he refers to uh, knocking someone out is what I was getting to, like boxing. So I got to throw in like the little like knockout bell, like ding, ding. Uh, and oh, I remember these, that. Yeah, like these little cuts, like if you would take like a breath, like add some like space in between um, and kind of like rework my original deal with now this context that he gave me uh so it was just super fun to like i just made something and he put this whole like this is what we're going to do with it and then to like re rework that a little bit and put that out was great and then that amazing video that came to accompany it which uh was like super like amazingly shot like the animation was great on it like really continues the story Mm -hmm. um yeah and it was awesome that it was just like three of us who like came together with what we knew made something super great super high quality too like i still i use that to get into grad school as a resume this oh wow i still use it on my resume like it's on my website like front like right there at the top of my music page uh and it was just an idea and some vibes and commitment and passion to the to the work and putting stuff out there was great and then with people that I really like. Crown Ellen, Bay Area, a proud sponsor of the Banquet Hall podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I think that's honestly what it's all about. Like as creatives, as artists, like being able to do stuff that we love to do, things that we're passionate about and do it with people who we appreciate, who we like, who we've grown up with, like 
that's honestly like what all of this is about for me, which is why mm -hmm. I wanted to have you on the podcast. Just wanted to have people that it's like, yeah, like I don't want to just, I don't, my goal as a podcaster isn't to be on a red carpet interviewing celebrities. Like I would love to, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I want people to hear these types of stories and mm -hmm. uh, how these things are created. Cause I was, I was, I was even talking to Andre last night about the concept of the zeitgeist and how all the things that we're doing and all the moments that we're taking to create content, to create music, to create art. Like when you look back at the finished product, like, yes, maybe somebody just downloads Salmon on Spotify or whatever, and they play that song. But we know the story of how that yeah. was created and what those moments were like. And it's just, it's just so powerful. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And to be able to put it on Spotify, which is great too. It's just like, that feels very confirming as like an artist, you know, I think to all of us of like, yeah, I got a song out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I wanted to also, uh, as I was looking at your website, preparing for this episode, I came across the Dance Nation as well that you have. So I wanted oh, to yeah. give you a little bit of time to talk about Dance Nation as well. Yeah. So uh, Dance Nation is a play that was done UCSD. Uh, and the director, Emily, who I'm good friends with, really wanted me to work on it because it was her thesis show. Um, but I was already working on another show and it would have been too much. And so we kind of pitched the idea of what if we have a first year sound designer come in, um, do it, and I'll kind of mentor her, but I'll be the composer because the reason she wanted me on the show was to like compose some music. So I was like, I'll still do the compositions, which is probably what I realized is like it's a whole other job. <laughs> um, so I took a swing at just composing and not sound designing for a show. Because uh, I don't have a very strong composition background, but I wanted mm -hmm. to test my luck and like I understood theater and what they needed. And thankfully, there's no lyrics needed because it would be happening like under some words at times. So I didn't have to worry about lyrics. Um, so I made this five song EP for this play. Um, and I started by like, what if I wrote songs, not like underscoring the play but just and then see if we can like fit it in there and how it works um so i started with just like a bunch of drafts of all these things and it got to a point where it's like oh i have like these five songs even though they're kind of short they're like tell something so why not and i just like fully produce that and share mm. and the people who work on the show especially really love it because now they can always go back and like listen to it and get memories because you know people get very attached to shows yeah absolutely absolutely it's so cool just to be able to produce art and see people's emotional connection to it or mm -hmm. types of things that it makes it makes them bring up uh one more question i wanted to ask with regard to sound design uh, i think that obviously when people are making uh instrumentals and they're making beats and whatnot they usually have some type of influences or genres of music they might try to not necessarily mimic but like pay homage to so what are some of your influences when you think of like sound design mm. that's a fun one because like genre wise i definitely come from like i think i i pull elements that i need for like the mood based off of like the different time like places i played music at and like points in my life mm -hmm. so like i was in orchestra a lot so like Sometimes I feel like we need strings. So I usually, my influence is like 
the kind of orchestra I learned and like me playing violin and starting from there. Um, I was in like a, a church, like praise and worship group and I'd play like guitar and it was kind of more like four chord stuff. So like bedroom pop, like very Ed Sheeran sounding. Yeah. So I pull influence from there when I need to. I also did a lot of like, I was into pop punk a lot growing up. Um, so that's where like my like pop punk and like metal mm-hmm. side comes from. Um, I was also into EDM. So I kind of, I feel like I'm, I don't have one genre or like influence, but I have very specific connections to genres that I like to like, oh, okay, I associate this genre with this mood. And I like using that. But I also really like combining genres and making things a new context by changing genres. And so like artist-wise, like that's why I like Childish Gambino because mm. like, sorry, his variety. Um, I'm a big Bad Bunny fan for multiple reasons, but he has a lot of hits that are like in different genres with or without people of that genre. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really like like the switch up, like Lil Uzi's newest um, album. Like I loved mm-hmm. it so much. Some people are like, ah, it's not really like hip hop and stuff. And I'm like, that's why it's dope. Like it's, <laughs> it's different, you know, like it's creating new stuff. So I really strive to do that. And like, maybe you've heard this genre a little bit, but I'm kind of doing something different with it. And those choices are all made on like what the mood and context is. Do you feel like studying sound design and uh, being a sound designer has influenced the way you listen to music now? Like as an example, I feel like now that I've been like really into film and studying film a lot more, I don't watch movies the same. Like, I feel like my brain is just always just like, Ooh, I like how they did that. Or Ooh, look at that cut. Or I wonder if they did like a dolly zoom here. So I'm just curious how like your (laughs) listening to music has changed or just listening to sound in general. Yeah, I think during undergrad, I started learning terminology and effects in music production specifically. So I would start listening to music a lot more uh, consciously. Uh, Like I quickly, I think in high school, I actually adapted like a new album. I have to listen to it all the way through, like no shuffle. Like it is one whole piece, right? And like, that's a religious rule of mine. I won't listen to it. Like if a single's on in the car, fine, whatever. But like, I'm not going to shuffle around. No, gotta listen to it. And oh, where was I going with this? <laughs> um, and so that that was just undergrad, and then grad school. I started learning about like greater art, not greater as in like better, as in like yeah. my scope was bigger. Like I started, I was taught visual things, even though I was like a sound designer. We'd learn general like art history, um. And that's when it really started opening up. And then when I started getting glimpses into like acting classes and um, working with people in the different fields and seeing what they're paying attention to now. And I was actually just talking about this with my girlfriend like last week. We saw a movie or a couple of weeks ago and it was like, now we pay attention to everything, like mm. the music, like the acting, like, and it's very quick to be like, hmm, that was an interesting like writer's choice. Like why'd they write the line like that? And I'm like, oh, that actor broke right there. Or like mm. they're improving right here. Or like, oh, this is such great. Or like, this has got to be such a weird scene to like film. <laughs> like all those things. It's like, yeah, it's like hyper analytical where sometimes I have to like pep talk myself before something and be like, just enjoy it as a consumer. Like don't, <laughs> don't think <laughs> like uh, the new Spider-Man movie. I had to like constantly be like, okay, just like, just embrace it. Just watch, <laughs> like, don't think. Um, yeah. And it gets harder and harder 
especially when people are like, yo, check this out. And then I instantly start doing, I'm like, no. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> yeah. I definitely really relate to what you just said, because there's times where I'm like, okay, brains off. I'm watching this movie for enjoyment. I'm not yeah. here to be a critic of it. I'm here to just consume media like your average citizen. But then there's always that one point where I'm like, Ooh, like I wonder why the writer made that choice or mm-hmm it's just those little things. So it's, it's just really cool to talk to other artists and just see like where your gears start turning for similar things. Yeah. yeah. It's also, I think the flip side that is also when you know, like, Oh, that animation scene had to have been crazy. Or like you, when your mind is blown up, like how did they get that image? Like you think a little deeper of like mm-hmm. and the appreciation for like what they're doing is like, Oh, like a sound will shoot across the space. And I'm like, what was that? I got to know. And I'll, I'll find myself looking up like who was the sound designer after the movie, like what house was mm. worked on it and stuff. So it's, it's like a double-edged sword where it's like, I can't always enjoy things, but sometimes I pick up on some like really, really special things. Mm. Have you seen the latest Mission Impossible movie or any other Mission Impossible movies? Yes, but not the latest one. I've seen a few of them. So with the latest one, there's a, a scene that takes place in a desert and I saw it in like Dolby Digital at the theater. And when I tell you, like, I felt like I was in a sandstorm. I, I literally was like, I need to know who is a sound designer for this movie like this. Yeah, it was like one of the most perfect uses of sound design in a scene in a movie I'd ever experienced, like, especially mm-hmm. with the Dolby Atmos sound. I just felt like I was like, wow, like they did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so cool. The, the way things are changing right now with like tech and like immersive stuff is is great yeah it makes for a great experience um one of the things i want to make sure that we have some space to talk about uh just this is like one of the newest things in your life you recently got an award the princess grace yeah. award uh we had scheduled the podcast episode and i think maybe two days ago i saw i was like oh shit like so i just got an award like i can't wait to just hear more about it like i didn't even click the post i don't want to read anything i just want to hear from you so what is this award and how did it feel to receive it? Uh, so the Princess Grace Award, Princess Grace Foundation is, uh, it's a grant and like community. Um, so I had to do this whole application process. Um, and it's a community of like recognized artists of different backgrounds, um, different fields. Like there's also film and choreography. Um, and it's a recognition of work, which is, extremely I'm super honored and excited it's national recognition so it kind of gets my name out there a little bit more um it's a great grant which helps me push my career forward um to just continue making art um but the community is full of like highly sought after designers currently working in the field um like multiple like many of them have like tony's like they are the people that i want to be like working Mm. with and striving to be with they're the ones leading the game right now um so a lot of them are part of this community and so now i'm welcomed in and able to like reach out for like questions or just like i didn't know about this award you know like pre-theater i didn't know about this award until uh, my school told me they were going (laughs) to nominate me for it and i had to start doing the application um but it generally what it feels like is a giant stamp of like, I know, like I am able and do good work. Mm. Like, please like work with me, try me out. Like, it's kind of like, you may be unsure, but like this behind me kind of makes some people take the chance. Like you're sure. Um, 
so it's it's a great honor i'm sure like these ucsd was celebrating me lots of friends were congratulating me um i was extremely happy to win um i was very nervous it was a huge application it was like the school had to had to like approve like that they were um putting me in for it i had to get like letters of recommendations i had to make like reels written word statements with like limited word amounts so mm. i had to like there's a lot of back and forth with my professors of like can you check this writing and like these multiple statements uh and so i really wanted it uh not only for just it's a great recognition um the money was really gonna like help with like certain gear and like mm. i can take some next steps forward like um i have a couple projects i haven't been able to do because either i'm busy working so i can you know survive <laughs> <laughs> or i don't have like funds to like take the next step or like well oh, i don't mm. want to invest i don't want to invest this thing and then not work on it for the next two weeks like you know um so it allows me to like do that and then i can continue promoting myself or like doing the work i want to do as well as continuing making all these connections with other people that's lovely. Well, I want to be not the first, right, but one of many people to congratulate you. And Thank I'm you. really happy to hear that you really were able to take that in and all the hard work that you've been doing to get affirmed in that way. And yeah, I think that artists need to be recognized for the work that we're doing. So I'm just really happy that you got that recognition. And first of many awards i'm gonna manifest that on the podcast i'm looking forward to seeing how you continue to grow and blossom but yeah when i was just scrolling through instagram stories and i saw that i'm like like congrats to sal like like what's just hearing people that you like as we start the podcast seeing you first day at ucsd all the way to now and it's all up for here so congratulations once again on the princess grace award that's huge thank you it means so much but it's also like y'all and all the people i've met are like part of that too and i like some people are always like no no no, that's you but it like it really is like all the people that i've met and like along the way who've like made me be the person i am essentially and affected that is like i definitely reflect on all those people with this recognition because i feel like i definitely take influence from lots of my like surrounding and the mm. people i surround myself with i love that i love that so much i'm having a blast this episode um talked about a lot uh but one thing that i wanted to make sure that we had space to talk about as well i know that your identities are very important in your craft as an artist and in what you do and uh, another way that you express yourself an artist through dance and i know that latin dance is something that's very important to you so uh, how and when did you get started with dance and when did dance into your life with dance so i just moved to the imperial valley 10th grade and still like the new kid for a little bit learning how different everybody was different kind of border town we were in assembly like the first couple of days of school and the latin dance club comes out and performs and i was like like i've heard of these dances but like i didn't know people my, like my age were dancing it and these people were like really good i was like <laughs> that's sick i want to learn how to do that but i was like too shy and so i didn't start until next year uh 11th grade and i was like okay i know enough people i feel more comfortable um because i hadn't danced before um so i went and tried it out um i really liked 
how it brought me closer to my my culture. I was I actually didn't really learn Spanish until high school. And a big part of that was like dancing, like, okay, I'd learn the song. So I'd go home, listen to the music, look up the lyrics, like learn that way. I'd be singing along by like the end of the week to the music I was dancing to. Um, a lot of people in the club also were like bilingual. So we spoke a lot of Spanish mm. or like Spanglish. Um, so some of my best friends were in the group too. So I did that for a bit. And then I got to UCSD. I didn't want to let it go because I was just like, hey, I'm starting to get good at this, having a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and there was a class that the dance department offered, uh, but it was only like you had to be a, a junior or senior, you know, one of those like classes. Mm-hmm. So I emailed the professor, like, I assumed it wasn't because like of a credit or thing. It was just like, I don't know, skill level or something. Yeah, so I just experience or something. Yeah. So I emailed and asked and said like hey i did it in high school can i join he's like yeah yeah come uh so me and uh, another friend went and we did that for a while and because i had some background and this was a beginner class i was like doing pretty nicely uh so that teacher was really like a nice mentor in terms of dance and would like kind of push me forward um eventually he wanted to start like a club and a team and i think because I knew what it meant to go from like two left feet to like being able to show someone a step, even if it was a simple step. Uh, I like rose to the occasion of like learning to teach a little bit. Uh, And basically I was like learning these, these basic patterns that I would then reteach like to the club when we'd have lessons, because I realized like, though it took me like one lesson to learn it, this whole thing, it's going to take, a lot longer for like this beginner club that I was helping teach. So I was just take like recycle what I was learning and like condense it and reteach it to these other people. Mm. And so that helped like foster a community within like Latin dance. And so I just like, you know, it was a good thing to stick around of like, I was helping people, people were teaching me new stuff. I was meeting lots of people dancing, feeling connected to my culture, still like practicing my Spanish. Um, and though it felt like a sidestep from what I was doing academically, it was one great exercise and like a breath of like not thinking about academia. But I feel like I was also still thinking as like a musician in terms of dancing. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I do this and dance on music. This would make sense to happen. Mm. Or like, how do I think about music as a dancer? So how do I think about the dancers when I'm a musician? Oh. Uh, so it ended up still being like relevant or I made it become yeah. relevant. Uh, and that only f- like further solidified like my love for it and like my my like belief of its necessity. Um, so I was like teaching this club and then we were on a team for a little bit. Um, and then I had to start focusing on like graduating. So I kind of stepped down from the club and take some space. And so now every now and then I'll do social dancing, go for a class. Um, haven't done it as much, but I definitely still consider myself a dancer. Like I had that in my bio. Um, it's definitely incorporated in the way I think about my sound design. Yeah. And I think just hearing you talk about it, it really shows like you, of course you're still a dancer. Like it's a passion of yours. It's how you're thinking. It's I'm sure even like some of the decisions you make as a sound designer can be influenced by like just dances and experience you've had with dance too. So uh, that was really inspirational just to hear you talk through that journey because 
I think that when we really start to sit down and unpack the things that we do, the things that we're passionate about, you could just see like just how intertwined a lot of our passions are. So that's mm-hmm. really exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so rounding out towards the end of the podcast, just some quick hitter questions. Uh, first, where can people find you and how can they support you? Oh, uh, I'm in the SoCal area. So I'm sun designing between San Diego and LA. Um, yeah, I say general SoCal because I'm between like both cities. Mm-hmm. You can also find me on Instagram, sound, uh, suavecito underscore sound design. It's like I post a lot of my shows there. Um, I use my story a lot for like things that I'm working. Sometimes I'll post snippets of like random weird sounds that I'll be making <laughs> uh, as well as my website, suavecito.design. Uh, there you can see like all my archive stuff, like music. It gives you links to Spotify, SoundCloud, everything from there. That's really the hub of everything. Everything. Um, my contact info is also on there. It's also a great place to like check out who I am as an artist and my work. Perfect. And then uh, what did you take away from this episode? And what do you hope our listeners take away from this episode? I take away. I got to I got to think something. Oh, yeah. Take your time. (laughs) That. Everyone's like more connected than we think, like Mm. people overlap and I think can talk a lot about things like you you never know what random thing you have in common with someone that could like potentially lead to long fruitful conversation and like learning you know even if it's a minuscule one like you sharing with me about video production like that's great because (laughs) i'm a sound person i'm on the other end now i know someone else to call for like (laughs) hey i have a question here do you have any resources about this like and now we can geek out if we ever see movies if you ever want to talk about the cuts (laughs) in a movies i'll probably like i'm into that yeah yeah i could tell you was into that because i think it was one of the first things you said you mentioned you use like jump cut just as a a, like part of your sentence and like oh you're for sure like you're deep into the the editing world (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) uh i love it and then uh last thing for the episode just anything you want to shamelessly plug manifest anybody you want to shout out Ooh, I want to shout out the homies, always. Uh, I want to shout out the family. I want to manifest, like you said, this is not the first award, that it continues growing. I also want to manifest this is not my last time on this podcast. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I'd love to recheck in and compare maybe a year to, I don't know, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Hey, so you're always welcome on the Banquet Hall podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, just getting to sit down and talk. I feel like this podcast has also given me a platform just to check in with people. Like, obviously, this mm-hmm. ends up getting posted as a podcast episode. But even if this never got posted, I just got to sit in here. You talk about like things you're passionate about for an hour. Like that makes the that means the world to me. And it's just really fun to, yeah, just listen to the bright young artist minds that are out there. Um, I really know that our listeners are going to take a lot from this. And I hope that if any of them are interested in sound design or maybe have this passion, maybe they don't even know they have this passion, that they have something that sparks from this episode that gets them to really pursue what they're interested in. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, if anyone is interested in sound design, also hit me up via contact info on my website 
and like ask questions. I love, you know, a lot of people help me growing into it. I asked a lot of questions and bothered a lot of people. So please come bother me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all about. We lift as we climb over here. Uh, yeah. But thank you, Sal, for your time. Uh, listeners, you. make sure you follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod. Uh, make sure you check out Suavecito Sound Design. Check out his website. Uh, stream the music that he's produced uh, check out a production that he's a part of go congratulate him on the award whatever you have to do uh, just make sure that we stay uh, invested in our community uh, make sure you leave this episode a five-star rating too like sal gave you all five-star content you have to return it with a five-star rating it's a five-star podcast give it five stars hey you heard the man uh, but thank you sal for your time uh, thank you listeners for tuning into this episode and we will catch you next time